Welcome to Epic Fails, Finding Redemption in Our Stories. I'm your host, Brittany Rust, and on this show you'll hear people from all walks of life sharing powerful stories of transformation. My hope is that as you hear stories of redemption, you'll find redemption in your own. Today I have with me on the show Will, one of the youth pastors I have a privilege of working with. Will's story of addiction, prison, and finding God in the midst of all of it will no doubt encourage someone out there. In fact, God's transformation of his life is so incredible that you would never guess he once lived such a hard life. Let's jump in. Thanks for having me. Yeah, definitely. I'm excited to share your story, and we'll just go ahead and jump right on in. All right. Will, how about you share with the audience a bit about your childhood and teenage years? Um, grew up in a Christian home with my mom. They, My mom and dad got divorced um, right when I was born and both remarried uh, different people by the time I was one, so kind of grew up with, with four parents. Uh, mom was uh, definitely full-blown Christian, go to church, um, had me go to Awanas, things like that. And then my dad was just more more so just good guy, Christian, um, wasn't really involved with church, um, but I mainly lived with my mom. So uh, church was definitely um, something I grew up in. I got put in a private Christian school. Um, and yeah, it was, uh, she had full custody of me and I got to see my dad about every other weekend or so. And so, yeah, I was kind of raised in that, that Christian world. Yeah. Now, your life took a turn of events when you were 12 years old. Tell us what happened. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Uh, I, was, I was 12, and my older sister brought home a, a movie uh, that she wanted to watch. It was a rated R movie, Bad Boys 2, and my mom got mad and, and took it from her and hid it. And uh, me and my friend at the time, we were... We were uh, at the house and we saw where my mom put it and so we uh, went we found it we watched it and I'm not saying that this is like everything um, that like caused the changes but it definitely I saw like a different life that I'd never seen before being raised in the Christian home and Christian schools and Christian friends um, in this movie I, I saw um, you know drugs and sex and these dirty cops and cars and I just saw a different um, just for a different world and started right right around that time, uh, just really like rebelling, uh, wanting to do what I wanted to do, wanted to listen to what I wanted to listen to, um, and my mom just wasn't having that, and I just I just started rebelling, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, I didn't want to live there anymore, um, so I called my dad and um, told him if he doesn't come and get me and uh, fight for custody for me that I would live somewhere else and it was just a mess uh, court proceedings um, but finally resulted in the court um, placing me in my dad's home and giving him full custody um, right around when I turned 13 so it was it was a good few months of battling back and forth with courts but mm-hmm. I eventually got to live with my dad full-time Mm-hmm. And you started working at a golf course. Talk about that experience. Yeah, a couple years went by. Um, I was 15, uh, 14. Uh, started working at a driving range. I was the guy that went and drove around in the golf cart and picked up the golf balls. And, you know, everyone tried to hit me. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I worked with this guy. Uh, his name was Ryan. And he just was like, if you think of a stoner, it was this guy. Um, and he always offered me 
uh, pot like every single day. I was like, hey man, let's go get high. And at the time, I was like really involved with uh, athletics, and I I thought that stuff was dumb. Um, and so I had no, no time for that. And then he just kept you know kept asking. And one day uh, I had a bad day, uh, probably girl related. I don't know, uh, but I just was down. And he asked again if I wanted to go smoke, and I did. I went out, uh, went smoked with him. And right then and there, um, bought some off of him, bought the pipe off of him, and um, started smoking every day of my life throughout my entire um, story. Uh, I was, pot was always there um, every day, every night. And yeah, that's when that began. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then when you were 15, year old, 15 years old, you had um, a different experience. So talk about what happened next. Yeah, shortly after me starting to smoke, uh, I just, I don't know what happened. I just, I started feeling um, depressed. I started feeling anxious a lot. I uh, just started feeling just not myself. I don't know if that's related to, you know, the pot. I mean, it was right after that where I just, I just felt sad. Um, I think that's the best way to describe it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I felt sad. And one day I came home and uh, it was after basketball practice, normal day. And I just like went to my room and that, that overwhelming feeling of sadness was, was around me. And I decided to, to end my life and I, I made that decision and um, went and took tons of things um, to try to make that happen. And sent out a text, thankfully. Um, the sad thing is like being a you know, young 15 year old, I, I was like ready and I was okay with dying. Um, and I didn't like that, but I was and that was reality. Um, but thankfully, I sent a text message out to an old friend, uh, basically just like a thank you text. Me- it was just kind of a nice text text message. Um, but they read right through it, and some next thing I ended up, my my dad broke down the door, and um, I ended up in the hospital, uh, and they just pumped my stomach, and yeah, I was alive, so that was good. Um, but then it meant, you know, okay, well, what's wrong with him? Uh, and so I got sent to doctors after that and you know placed on medication and told I was you're depressed um, you have general anxiety disorder and you know so they placed me on some medications to help with that stuff mm-hmm. um, yeah and that was the start of of being medicated yeah and did things get better or get worse well they definitely got worse um, I just start I just felt empty I didn't feel like myself anymore um, after that I uh, just you know different trying different antidepressants and switching me over and um you know not and then i think smoking pot on top of all that stuff i think just offsets um what the antidepressants are supposed to do um then i started drinking so i figured you know when you're drinking the antidepressants kind of like suppress that a little bit so i just kind of chose alcohol and, and pot and just eventually tried to get away from the medications um and just started drinking and smoking every day. Uh, thought it was normal. Um, you know, I, that was kind of the everybody's doing it motto. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where I was at at the time with that stuff. Sure. What happened after high school? Um, so I went through high school uh, drinking and smoking, doing my thing. Um, and then around, I was 18 years old, I had graduated, uh, barely, but I graduated. Um, was living with my grandma because I, I was asked, uh, I was like literally on my 18th birthday, uh, my stepmom asked me to leave the house. And so I went and lived with my grandma. Um, and at that time, I was dating a girl 
uh, and uh, right or, like about a month after I was kicked out, uh, we found out that she was pregnant. Um, I had gotten her pregnant, and uh, decided to keep the baby. Um, that was just something. Um, no matter how messed up I was, like I just had that that belief to my core that I just abortion wasn't an option. I had a decent job. Um, I know I was 18, I was dumb, but I knew I could take care of a child, and we had that discussion. And we decided we're going to keep the baby. That was the decision that was made, and obviously I was terrified, um, waited about three months, and then told family uh, that was hard. They, they weren't too happy, but again, it kind of came into more of a, like, the baby's coming regardless, so... It started turning into some excitement, you know. My mom posted some stuff on on Facebook and like, you know, told her friends and asked for prayer and and things like that. So eventually, it was like, okay, I'm having a baby, and me and her uh, both got excited. Uh, I think I was a little more excited uh, with the idea of having a child and being a father, and um, so everything was great. And then one day, I think like three and a half months in. Uh, I went over to her house, normal day, uh, and I could just kind of sense something was wrong though. And she handed me a, an ultrasound picture and told me that she got an abortion. And after that, uh, I, I was I can't I can't explain uh, the pain that was there at that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I sometimes I don't like talking about it, um, but now like I I know that I'm I'm free from that. But at that moment. Um, it was just a complete darkness that fell over me of like, that's that was my fault. I killed that baby. And um, even though it wasn't my decision, um, I felt um, just a pain that I can't really describe to anybody uh, and just a guilt that ate away at me. Uh, so I went home angry. I called a friend and uh, flew out, went on a little trip with a guy friend and started drinking a lot, started smoking more got back and, and alcohol and, and pot just like really consumed me. I just, I didn't want to feel anything after that moment. Mm. I didn't want to feel anymore. Yeah. And it kind of just escalated from there. You, you went on a um, two week binge of ecstasy, correct? Maybe talk about what that two weeks was like for you and kind of what it led to after that. Yeah. So after that, um, it went from, you know, drinking, smoking, like to have fun to more drinking, smoking to, to not feel anything. Um, eventually got an apartment and, you know, pot was not, not legal and not as easy to get as it is now. Um, so I dealt with some pretty lowly people and I had an opportunity uh, presented to me from somebody to um, buy a, a very large amount of ecstasy. Um, had never done it before, but he had sold me other things I got in the shrooms and acid. Um, and, and just a bunch of stuff that I shouldn't have been doing, but it just was offered, and, and I, I liked not feeling and liked not being myself. Mm-hmm. And so the ecstasy, um, though, just did a lot a lot of different things. I'm not going to sit here and say it, it wasn't fun at the time because I, I liked it, um, but ecstasy destroys your brain, destroys your happiness. I mean, it's such a false sense of, of fun and excitement. And after that two weeks was over, because um, we did it, me and a few friends, we did it literally for two weeks, um, and ran out, a um, couple of overdose scares during that time, but that didn't stop me. And um, after that was over, I I can't, again, I can't explain that emotion. I, I was completely empty. 
I had the, the just to get out of bed to go to the bathroom was a complete struggle. Um, I had zero happiness left in me. Um, I didn't even know, like just I I, I can't explain it. It was uh, just a feeling of complete emptiness. There was nothing nothing left to live for. Um, so yeah, so I drove to my dad's office and just kind of just laid it out there. I, I didn't know what else to do, and I told him um, this is where I'm at. And so, of course, get, you know, after that, get sent to a psychiatrist, which made sense at the time, you know, for me. But then they just put you on other stuff, told me I was depressed, told me I was anxious again, diagnosed me with a bunch of stuff and prescribed me a bunch more pills Mm -hmm. um, on top of the alcohol and the pot. Yeah. And uh, were you using that wisely or did you go in a different direction with your medication use? No, I started really quick abusing uh, the medication. Uh, I have I, the antidepressants uh, kind of stopped the the good feeling from the alcohol. So I eventually would you know she kept prescribing it, but I kept just not taking it. Um, but other things that were prescribed um, intensified the alcohol, the effects of the alcohol. Um, there was other things that just made me feel like I was Superman, and I, I just I started doing a bunch of stuff. Um, manipulating the doctors, um, telling them I needed more, and oh, I'm tired at this time, and, and just totally getting um, just more and more uh, dosages prescribed, higher milligrams, um, and just really started abusing the prescription jug, drugs on top of everything else I was doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, and during this whole time, you were actually carrying on a pretty good job. Tell us about that part of your life. Yeah, I got into real estate. Uh, it was It was great. I was fortunate enough to get on a great team uh, and absolutely loved it. It was right around that time, though, uh, where I was successful and um, was presented to a new substance, uh, which was painkillers. And I had never really messed with that stuff. I was more uppers. Um, I was, you know, on cocaine and things like that. But uh, painkillers, as I was told, you know, were great and it relaxes you. And so, you know, I wanted to try it. And so um, got prescribed those from a dentist appointment. And I just knew like after I took them, um, the feeling was was just I was so numb when I was on it. Um, I didn't I didn't feel anything like none of like any thoughts that um, were negative or it just it just it numbed me and it relaxed me. And I knew that that wasn't going to be good, but I was hooked yeah. um, very quickly uh, and then started you know, doctor hopping, trying to get those prescribed, uh, and doctors did not really want to prescribe a guy with tattoos and piercings. Um, those, so it was very difficult. Um, there was times where I inflicted pain on myself um, to go to ERs to try to get prescription pills that way, mm. and um, that's how bad it got. I, I got hooked, and finally, I, I just I turned to the streets um, to buy more of those. Yeah, sure. Uh, we're now during this whole time where you're going through this season and you're maintaining a job, um, and you had a girlfriend and you had family. Were you able to keep all this hidden pretty well? Yeah, that that part uh, was was absolutely exhausting. Um, it was like living two different lives. Hmm. Um, and yeah, I had you know a serious girlfriend. Uh, my family, you know, I worked with couple family members and it was it was very difficult to keep that life separate but I was able to do it Mm -hmm. Um, but the amount of time like in in energy that that took I mean it was was horrible 
I did hide it well. Like I'm not gonna lie, um, I did, but it, it took it out of me. I was so exhausted with the the steps I had to take, you know, before um, the girlfriend would come over after, like I would smoke or something. I'd have to, you know, take a shower, wash my hair, mm. make sure I didn't smell like the smoke, and then hide all the drugs, and then go to, the, you know, and store it in these places. And, and it was just every single day, and um, yeah, just it, it was not fun. Um, yeah. But I was able to to keep that life fairly hidden um, yeah. up till it got really bad and everybody knew something was wrong but sure. yeah and when did that happen I mean you talk about how you got depressed and it got worse yeah so I was at a place uh, where every morning like I woke up I couldn't get out of bed without taking a handful of pills and, and doing lines of cocaine and, and then going to the liquor store and, and getting a bottle and then I could start my day um, it, it was to the point of like waking up and just being mad that I woke up. Mm-hmm. Um, I was so angry that like something didn't happen or I didn't overdose like in my sleep. Uh, I was so far gone and so depressed. Uh, I got to a point where I, I made the decision uh, that I was going to end my life officially. I was just going to hang myself and, and get it over with. And I went and got a rope and I was sitting in a parking lot um, just ready to go I, I I did some stuff in in the car so I could get myself just like mentally there and I did I got to that place of like okay this is it and I I had a moment it was a totally a God moment where he just I just had a moment a brief clarity it was almost like it, it was an image of my niece and nephew um, opening up the garage door and finding you know their uncle uh, hanging it, it was so vivid and I started crying and um, my mom had put a Jesus calling book in my truck a long time ago I had never looked at it and so I was just like bawling and I looked at that and there's some I don't remember what it said um, but it was just something like okay like I have a problem and that was the first moment where I I flipped down the visor I looked in uh, to the mirror after not looking at myself for so long because I hated myself Mm. Uh, and I I looked and I said you know you're a drug addict you like are that guy you see on TV that struggles with drugs and needs to get help and so I pulled out my phone and and looked up rehab centers and flew out to California um, after a very uncomfortable conversations you know conversations with my parents and the mm-hmm. girlfriend um, everybody was just like kind of in shock that I could have kept that so hidden and they didn't realize how yeah. bad it was uh, maybe they still don't and that's okay I'd love to protect them from that Mm. Um, but yeah, so told them and flew out two days later to a rehab center. Yeah. And what was that experience like and how did you come out of it? Boy, I went there and I mean, going there and detoxing was just pure hell. Um, but you know, they, they do cater to you at these rehab centers and you know, they give you stuff to somewhat make you comfortable. It's still a very horrible experience. Um, but yeah, I went out there and then finally like started the drugs started getting out of my system. And you gotta remember, it was seven years of of drugs and alcohol, um, lots of stuff like in my system coming out. So I'd never like felt normal for a while, and so I was almost like on this. They call it um, cloud nine or the, like the pink cloud effect, and like you're just on this this cloud. And uh, they even like warned people like you're gonna feel that, but trust me, it's not gonna like last too long. And huh. but that's where I was. I like I was like I'm sober, and. Yeah. Yeah, but I I got that. I completed 28 days, and I thought drug addiction was beat. Mm. And, yeah, I thought I thought I won. 
Yeah, and did you? I did not. Uh, I did it without without any you know any Christ any any Jesus like that. That stuff just isn't. It wasn't at the rehab center I was at. It was you know you can pick your higher power and do that stuff. And um, so yeah, so I didn't really focus on that, and I tried to do it myself, and I lasted I think a week. Uh, which kind of it sucked because my whole family and were so supportive and so happy and so was I um, You know, they were I would get text messages from my dad every night like day 29 day 30 day 31 and But after like the week um, Before I left I had stashed away like a little stash of some pot and a few pills um, in a storage unit before I left as a fallback and I I didn't make it longer than a week before I just obsessed over it mm. and I went back to that yeah yeah and you started using again and even took it further than that correct I did uh, um, it went because it was just a different feeling this time I went from you know being sober for 30 something days to within 10 days being right back to where I was before I had left but then went even further with it, uh, got into harder drugs. And I, I think a lot of that was, um, man, the guilt, like when those text messages would come from my dad, you know, like day 39, and I knew that there was no, you know, day 39. Yeah. Um, I honestly, I felt completely, like I had let everybody down. I felt just guilt and shame, like just this, almost this embarrassment that I, and so the result of that was me, I completely isolated. I did not want to have that conversation um, I think my family knew um, just based off of me like being all excited and talking about sobriety to don't talk to me about mm -hmm. it anymore. Um, but I shut them out. I lived alone and my drug use uh, went through the roofs. Um, but not only that, my the depression that I was in, the, my girlfriend at the time of four years um, ab abruptly ended things. Um, rightfully so for her. Uh -huh, I, I don't blame her at all. But um, she kind of kept me in this place where like there was like two or three hours where I wasn't getting high where I wasn't thinking about negative things and after I lost that it was just I didn't care anymore uh, at this point I was drinking and drugging to hopefully one day not wake up and that's where I was at yeah and you ended up spending all of your money and becoming broke and um... yes I yeah I spent everything I had um, I, was, I was very close to not knowing where to go from there, but I knew that I couldn't just walk away from stuff. And so, yeah, so I, the decision that was made was to turn to, to harder stuff. Um, heroin was a big one. That was, it was cheaper. Um, it would have saved me money. It would have given me like a better effect. And so I did, I made that decision um, to, to go that route. And at this time too, I'm also somehow managed to get into selling pot and, and other things to, to people. Um, it didn't start out that way, but it ended up that way and that, that just happened. So all these things are happening and it was just the perfect storm to right before I was about to go and cross that line into the heroin realm. Um, that night that I bought it and bought needles um, I was arrested. I came home, pulled in my, my neighborhood, and there was a bunch of cop cars sitting out, and they all lit up. There was about 15 of them, um, and placed me in handcuffs. They had a search warrant for my house. Mm -hmm. They had a search warrant for my phone, and just like that, um, things completely took a turn. And how me. did you feel in that moment when you were arrested? 
What was that moment like? Uh, it's interesting because that it was almost more of a feeling of, of relief. Uh, obviously, I was terrified. I was mad. I, there was all these emotions, but like deep down, I was like, "Oh man, like it, it's it's over. Like mm-hmm. I don't like you know this is not a dream. Like there are cops here. I'm in cuffs. I they have an arrest warrant. Like I'm done. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was there was a sense of like okay, like now maybe I can I can like start the climb, the rise, um, but didn't know how at all. Yeah. And you did end up going to prison, correct? I did. I got um, arrested that night. And then it's just court proceedings are so long. Uh, So I was put um, on an ankle monitor. After I bonded out, I put my house up um, for my bail and got out. And they put an ankle monitor on. Had to do drug testings. And that was one thing that was hard because, I mean, just because they tell you, like, oh, you stay sober or else you're going to get in trouble. I mean, I was still... So totally dependent on substances so yeah I did not stay sober doing that I couldn't um, you know so dodged some arrest warrants there um, just because my sentencing hearing was coming up and so they kind of just backed off and didn't act on those warrants and waited for me to come into court because I put my house up so I wasn't going anywhere it was either that or killing myself and um, I made the decision to go you know go to court um, the morning of sentencing I prayed, like, God, please uh, give me probation, give me probation, no jail, no jail, you know, none of that. And there was a second where I had this moment of, like, envisioning myself getting probation, coming home, and nothing would have changed. Nothing Mm -hmm. at all would have changed. I would have came home. I wouldn't have stayed sober. So, yeah, I was that morning, uh, the judge just put the gavel down and said six months. And I didn't hear anything other than six months. I didn't know what was going on. And in the courtroom I, I didn't I didn't know what, like what happened and like I looked at my attorney and asked like what, what, she, what is she saying like what does that mean six months and um, in the back of my ear all I hear is uh, my mom ask my dad behind me like what'd she say and all I hear my dad say just you know holding back tears that mm-hmm. he's going to jail and right then and there oh. I look back uh, after being placed in handcuffs and my grandpa's in tears, my mom's in tears, my dad's in tears. And at that moment, I felt, I, I just looked, put my head down. I felt like I had let everybody down, mm-hmm. um, including myself, and I hated that feeling. Sure. And um, you, so you go to prison, and you were actually put in isolation for a period of time. Yeah. I. It's called the SHU. It's a special hold unit, and, um, and there's, there's nothing special about that place. It's nasty. Um, the reason being is like when that you have somebody coming off of you know ten years of, of drugs and alcohol abuse and just all these things, um, they have a place where they they just put you in the basement in a room. It's twenty four hour lockdown, rubber cup, rubber spoon. Um, it's and it's just so like because they know like when people are kicking stuff like it's they they there's a risk of death, there's a risk yeah. of all these things. So they just put you in a cell by yourself. Um, there's no nurse there walking around giving you stuff for your stomach if it hurts and. Um, yeah, so I was I was down there, and it was absolute hell down there. And what happened in that room? Man, um, it was a few days, about 10 days of uh, just excruciating pain. I mean, I can't explain the feelings on that one. I could probably write a book about it. Um, it was like hell on earth. Um, I don't know what hell's like, but it, that, that's, to me, is as close as I came. Um, it was lonely there was just like no one there to talk to no one to 
express what was going on. I was, my body was aching. I was going through all these pains from the drugs coming out of my system. Um, but the mental part of that was, was the worst of it. Um, I can't explain the, the mind games. And it was almost like a, a spiritual attack. Um, it was like, there was just, it was absolute misery. And about 10 days in, I'm laying, I can't sleep. Like you just can't sleep in there. And I'm just wide awake, just trying to figure out how you kill yourself with a rubber cup and a rubber spoon. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, um, it was like a road to Damascus situation. Uh, God, literally, I just, I felt him come into that cell Mm -hmm. and just said, are you, are you done with this life? And, uh, man, I hated like who I was and I hated what I was doing. So when I, I felt like, it's like, okay, now come follow me. And I just I got on my knees and I started crying. I um, started praying. I didn't really know what I was what I was saying. I asked the guard for a Bible. He brought me one. I started reading. Um, don't know what I read. Like I, nothing was making sense. All I knew was God asked if I was done. I was done, and I just put my hands up and like just gave my life away. Wow. wow. And yeah, nothing. Nothing was the same. Um, after that, I had a pastor come in um, and visit me, and um, that was the day. Like I, I prayed, uh, you know, asked for forgiveness, repented of everything, and just like I wanted to be all in this yeah. time. Like I didn't want to hold anything in my back pocket. I didn't want anything in my life that wasn't supposed to be there. And I prayed that I surrendered everything. And right when I said Amen, man, everything changed. I I felt completely brand new. Um, felt like just a, a different heart. Like I felt like heart surgery took place, wow. um, and just this warmth inside of me. And the weirdest thing is, I was in a jail cell, and that was the happiest I'd ever been in my entire life. Wow. And that just that was that was the freedom that I found in Christ, and He totally came and and rescued me. That's incredible. And that desire for the drugs and the alcohol that left you as well correct yes that that's what's amazing is not only did he just come in and say hey like you're you're mine now and change my life but he any any thoughts of of wanting to do drugs or those cravings or wanting to go have a cigarette or drink any anything at all like that was completely gone I, wow. I didn't want anything to do with it but not only that not only did he take that I feel like he put in this passion um, for me to just like, I want you to go and spread this freedom now. And I was, like, on fire in there. Um, but, you know, of course, I'm still, like, have to go to jail. So <laughs> I'm still in there. And so I, I read the Bible while I'm in there. And I'm just, at this point, I'm just loving, like, my my new, like, found relationship with Christ. Even though I was in there, I felt completely free. To recap, Will obviously went through quite a life of depression, drug addiction, alcohol abuse, prison, feeling very empty and lonely in this world. But God came in and radically transformed his life in that cell. Let's hear where he is today. What's your life like today? Oh, man. It doesn't make sense (laughs) um, at all. It's amazing. Um, one of the, the first things that like I um, was so worried about, like even like after God came in and changed everything, one of the things I was worried about I was like, man, God, man, I'm not gonna have any friends. 
Um, that was a huge, and I remember praying, like, God, please, like, you can have all my other friends, or just bring me other ones. And to look right now at the people I get to work with, the friends that I have, um, it's unreal. It doesn't make any sense um, that I get to be with these people. Um, I get to be in youth um, over at Red Rocks Church. Like, I get to um, pour into students, and I pray to God that I can stop just one from, from going down the road that I went down. And I just, I feel completely undeserving of what I have, but I'm not going to sit in that. I'm going to focus on, you know what, God did change my life, and I'm not going to focus on, I don't deserve this. I'm going to go out there and, and make do and make Him proud and, and just honor Him. And uh, not because I feel like I, I have to, but because I want to, because I know what true hopelessness and emptiness feels like, and now I know what that freedom feels like, and I want everybody to feel that. And I love life right now. I love where it's at. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm super grateful and super humbled with everything. Yeah, that's incredible. And I know that we're incredibly grateful that you are here. And I'm sure the students of Red Rock Church are very thankful for your presence in their life as well. Okay, I ask this question every time. If you could share anything with the audience, what would it be? Um, a loaded question. <laughs> yeah. No, I. I think my thing is, um, I know that there there are people, you know, listening, not listening. I mean, people that um, know somebody that is just in a place of I don't know. I think you can sometimes come to a place of accepting like, oh, these are just the cards I was dealt. Um, and I think I was in that place for a while. Like, this is just how life is. And it, it's not ever going to be over here. And I'm telling you, like, that's a lie from the pit of hell. And that's one thing. Like, if there's anybody that's listening or knows somebody that's, like, going through something, like, don't you accept that and don't let anyone else accept that um, because that's not the case. I'm telling you, like, when you fully, fully, fully surrender um, and just invite Christ in, in your life, like, you don't have to survive in in this life you get to thrive in this life and that's just where i'm at i feel like it's not in god's will for you to to live this mediocre life and just get by like he he wants to do something with you um and i just feel like man, you just raise your hands get on your knees and ask him to come in and yeah so i don't i don't like when i hear people say that oh these are just the cards out of doubt um but I think it's it's what you make it, and Christ is ready to go and ready to work in your life. So that's what I would say to, to anybody, yeah. anybody going through something. That's really, really good. Well, Will, thank you for joining the show today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. into the story of a person who went through a difficult situation. One many might relate to. If you do, and even if you don't know what the situation is like, but you can relate to some of the feelings Will experienced, be encouraged to know that your story doesn't end with a difficult situation. It's a scene in your story, but not the end of your story. Thank you for joining me today. If this podcast is something that's ministering to you or you think others might find interesting, please subscribe on iTunes and leave a review. A review helps this podcast grow, which helps to get the word out to people who might need to hear the story of redemption. Tune in again in two weeks for another powerful story of redemption. 
In the meantime, you can find more information about me, read weekly devotionals, and find out what I'm doing around the web at www.brittanyrust.com. See you next time.